0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD, Detective Sergeant Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And if you like things, real crime from a police perspective, then you're in the right place. With me today is retired NYPD detective, 21-year veteran, straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil?
1: Pretty good, Bill, and uh, just as excited as I've been with this case. I'm just uh, eager to dig into it. There's a lot of developments going on, and uh, we're going to go through them. You know,
0: Phil. Uh, obviously, uh, this case is is a heartbreaking case, and if you go through um, if you go through the timeline and everything, I mean, many people in the media, even on YouTube, they choose uh, to point fingers at people. And look, there's enough blame to go around, but you know, law enforcement. Are not mind readers. You know they they apply the law to the situation and attempt to apply it correctly. It's not always an easy job. I want to point that out. There's also a lot of blame to go on uh the North Port, Florida Police Department and, and how they possibly could have let Brian disappear without a trace out of the house. Why he was not under surveillance and and that's that's another. I think that's another problem. I really do. And again, rather than just to focus on that, focus on the bad things. Let's focus on some of the good things. You know, uh, we saw the other night that um, the FBI based on some input by some civilians, uh, a family, um, they were able to find Gabby and they were able to find her remains. And in that same night, they were actually able to make a tentative identification of her. And we don't know specifically what uh, allowed them to make that tentative identification? Was it tattoos? Was it the clothing she was wearing? Um, what was it other? Maybe she had identification on her. We know she had very specific uh, tattoos. I think across her forearm, it said let it be. Uh, but you also have to realize that she may have been out there for 22 to 23 days. So uh, you and I both know what a body looks like after being exposed for 22 to 23 days in the elements, or she may have just had a, um, an identifiable piece of jewelry that was undoubtedly belonged uh, to Gabby Petito. In any event, then to fast forward, uh, I believe it was uh, yesterday uh, that we got the results of the autopsy and the results of the autopsy simply said that it was a homicide. They didn't tell us, what the manner of death was. They didn't say whether it was strangulation, whether it was blunt trauma, whether it was a stab wound, whether it was a gunshot wound. They didn't tell us any of that. And simply the term homicide means death caused by another. And in certain instances, I don't want to get put on my professor hat and teach that sometimes a homicide isn't a crime because that'll just muddy the waters for here because there can be, an accidental death that can be ruled. Yeah, that was caused by another, but it's not It's not criminally liable. But anyway, I don't want to get into that now. So we've, we've been there, and one of the things that is very peculiar to all of us, of course, is that Brian drove home from Grand Teton National Park, probably left around the 27th or the 28th, and arrived September 1st without Gabby. And no report was ever made that she was missing. And in fact, 10 days later, her family reported her missing from Blue Point, Long Island. In fact, they reported it to the Suffolk County police out in Blue Point. So there's a lot of really suspicious activity on this case and things that just break your heart. I mean, uh, some people, of course, in the media said, oh, this could have been prevented if the police would have made an arrest on the 12th. And they they can't say that. And we we uh, examined that whole car stop. And, you know, some information came in later on about a 911 call that said that he slapped her. We never knew about that. And I don't know if, in fact, that was ever reported to the police on the scene in real time. I don't know if that's true or not. I think that would have changed my opinion on what occurred at the scene had I known that. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. But, you know, there's many people that just think police officers... Uh, have to make 100% the correct, you know, after, you know, 2020 hindsight that their conduct was wrong because they should have predicted that this was, this was going to happen.
1: Thoughts? You know, Bill, uh, I want to talk about the three things that I think that you brought up. Uh, I'm going to start with the the last thing that you said. Uh, my uh, information and what I'm reading. Uh, I don't think the 911 operator uh uh, con- uh uh had a conversation or or translated the information to the officers on the scene that he was the aggressor striking her I think that the nine one one operator may come under some scrutiny that she may not have uh related that to the officers that uh the the the, the, nine, the person who called nine one one uh stated that he was striking the female so that really is important. Like you said, if that information was garnered and before the officers even did the stop, I think they would have went a little harder on Brian and probably drilled down on it. And they probably would have drilled down on it with her. Um, she was obviously very upset. I think that, uh, you know, when they separated them and talked to them individually, they might've been able to get a better idea, a better picture. That information would have been key to an arrest. Now, again, we discussed it and we said that we don't believe that it really played that much of a role because that was on the 12th. Of August, we believe the time of death is around the twenty seventh of August. So it's a big long period of time. So I can't really scrutinize the offices at this point based on that information. Uh, that we don't think the nine one one operator is different. That operator should have uh, transmitted that to the offices that. Uh, The the 911 caller states that the male was slapping the female. That would have been very important. And I don't think those officers showed a lot of professionalism to me. I don't think if they had gotten that information that they would have acted the way they did. If they did, if they had that information and they didn't make an arrest or they didn't drill down on it, well, then uh, maybe there was some scrutiny going towards them. Let's go back to the crime scene that you were talking about first up. The crime scene is so important because where the van was parked, her body was found about 200 yards away. And they say that there was uh, a gravel area, uh, some type of a pond, and then a log where she, her body was found behind the log. Uh, from what I'm understanding, I just watched right before we went on the air, Dr. Michael Baden was on the news and he said his information, his sources are telling him that the body wasn't. Uh, hidden under uh, a shallow grave or anything like that. And the reporter that was uh, asking the question says, what does that tell you? He says, the only thing that that tells me, and I agree with this, is maybe the uh, person was in a haste. They might've seen something, heard something, a noise, a car driving up or something that spooked them and they just placed the body down and they took off. However, there was also uh, reports that there was some type of uh, a rock formation into a cross. Now, the other thing I wanna talk about Before I jump back to you, Bill, um, we talk about, we could drill down a little more on the crime scene, but there's, there's something that you brought up when you said he left around, we estimate 27, 28, he got back on the first, how did he get back? He had to be using a cell phone for navigation. That cell phone is going to be key because that cell phone will show all the area and all the routes that he took when he stopped for gas or he stopped for food or he stopped for, uh, to go to the bathroom or whatever it is. So that's going to be key in that. And, uh, we're going to drill down on these parents, uh, the laundry parents. They were referred to by John Walsh, which w- was just also on the news just a few minutes ago, as the dirty laundries. I think that that's a correct uh, description of them because they got a lot to answer for. And we'll get to that later in the show.
0: You know, I just want to uh, share a little bit to show what's actually happening now. And uh, we'll get we're going to put this on the screen. I'm just going to play this. Um
2: why they moved the search area over to the other side of this reserve, but that is where they're focusing their efforts this morning. Uh, We just saw crews roll in about, uh, over the past 45 minutes, it's been a slow roll in. So the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office, their mobile command center, rolled in around 7.15, and then after that, we saw ATVs, multiple different law enforcement vehicles following in. So search efforts definitely are close to getting underway this morning. And like you mentioned, Laura, this time investigators are turning their focus to the Venice side of this reserve. Now, over the weekend, investigators scoured the reserve, but search efforts were focused over on the Northport side. They briefly paused their search on Monday, resuming yesterday, this time in Venice on the other side of the reserve. Now, Tuesday, investigators were out in full force once again, utilizing drones, swamp buggies and dogs to try to pick up any trail on Brian Laundry, And that's what they plan to do again today. But this is not a small search by any means. Keep in mind, the Carlton Reserve is an extremely large area. It's over 24,000 acres of heavily wooded and swampy land, a lot of wildlife, including gators and snakes out here. And in typical Florida fashion, the rain that we've been seeing over the past few days is not making investigators' job of looking for Brian any easier.
0: It's very difficult. Um, Essentially, 75 percent of it's underwater. um, And other areas uh, that are dry, we're trying to clear.
2: Investigators paused their search of the reserve on Monday. No, could you
1: hold it right there? Could you freeze frame that a second? Is it possible to back it up just a little bit? I want to zero in on that. uh, Okay. Right there. Oh, right there. Maybe just a a, a notch further. So it's a little clearer. Okay. Everybody should take note of that camper. We're going to talk about that uh, in a little bit. That camper is very important. That's a brand new camper and we'll talk about that in a second. If you want to uh, continue reserve with Bill.
2: reserve on Monday, the same day that the FBI conducted a search warrant of the laundry family home. At this point, it's unclear as to what Brian's parents have told investigators about Brian's whereabouts or why this search has shifted over to the Venice side of the reserve. But according to Northport police, after their searches yesterday, they said they really didn't find anything to note. Uh, also to mention, Sarasota County Police Office, they tweeted out this morning that they've received multiple calls and emails overnight and into this morning uh, due to rumors that Brian has been found. That is not the case. He has still not been located. And that's exactly why these search efforts are resuming out here today. Like I said, those units rolled in just a few minutes ago. So we're expected to see search efforts beginning once again shortly. Okay. All right.
0: You know, Phil, one of the things that that I'm wondering is, uh, is this just smoke and mirrors? Are they searching this land just to cover their ass because I don't think he's anywhere near this place. You know, he's the timeline is he went hiking on September 14th, all right? And then on the 17th his parents reported him missing. First of all, you know on the, in New York City, a missing person does not include someone who's wanted for a crime. Is that a little loose with him? Is he is he wanted for a crime? I mean, he sort of wanted, right? So, I mean, is he really missing or was that a smokescreen
1: delivered by the parents to give him more time to get away? You know, Bill, there's there's something rotten in Denmark when it comes to these parents. Um, There's been reports that she may have been in the uh, uh, law enforcement field as a prosecutor or something to that effect. And, um, you know, right now, um, I think that. uh, uh, they, they have a lot of questions that need to be answered for sure. Um, as far as the, um, uh, the movements from the 14th to the 17th, that may have given him a head start somewhere. I don't know if it's in the, the location that the investigators were led to. And I'm very skeptical about that. And when I heard about it, that the family said that he went hiking and then strangely he doesn't, he disappears. He doesn't have any contact with the family, but then they go and they get the car back that he took. They, they claim he took the Mustang and he went to this lo- location to go hiking. They go retrieve the car and then they report him missing. Now that I believe that car was also taken in for forensic investigation. So there's also talk of the white van when it was recovered by the police and by the fbi and it was uh, it was uh, uh, examined for forensic investigation that may have been cleaned that's another thing that i think the family has to answer for and uh, uh we we have uh, some information that was over the uh, over the news media in the last hour or so about neighbors and uh, you want to get to that now about that camper bill or you want to stay on this what we're talking you know, about just
0: what I, I just want to say is that um, from minute one, the parents haven't been cooperative. And of course, as we all know, Brian invoked counsel immediately. So one of the things I think is that, you know, he may have gone to that park, but I think they had plenty of time to plant a car, even not their car. They could have rented a car and put it on the outskirts of the preserve and told him where it was and he could have just went to a car and he's gone. So I don't know, look, they have divers in in the lakes and the divers police divers risking their lives in water with alligators and all kinds of stuff. One of the things that we all know is that if a body is submerged in a in water, it rises to the top in 3 days. In the winter it's it can be as much as 5 days, but it rises to the top in 3 days. So this would be way more than 3 days later unless they have some kind of Information and I don't know how they can have information on this because, look, they're they're searching. uh, Is the Northport, Florida police embarrassed that they didn't surveil him and they lost him? You bet they are. This is a national story, so could that entail using all these resources to search this area? Yeah, I think it could. And I've been in law enforcement for 27 years, and I've seen, you know, what what police departments will do to try to save face. And this could be just that.
1: Yeah. I I know that there's a lot of resources, a lot. I mean, helicopters, they shed drones, dogs, uh, uh, people on foot. And then they have those swamp buggies going through that area. It's supposed to be treacherous, filled with snakes and alligators and all of that. I don't know what is making them so certain that he's into that woods. There might be information that we're not privy to, or it could be just what you said, Bill, but you know, there's, there's a whole, Uh, scenario because of the fact that he came home on the first. Now I'm going to talk about the neighbors that were just interviewed. I saw, I I listened to this interview. It was about within the last hour, Charlene and William Guntry that lived directly across the street from the dirty laundries. And um, they said that after he returned home on the first within about a week to a week and a half that they purchased a camper and we saw the video uh, that you just showed, the camper was there. they they said it's a brand new camper. and when they saw the new camper, they saw the mom, the dad, and they saw Brian as well all working on this camper, loading it up with material. Uh, they just assumed they were going on a camping trip. and then they said on the weekend, they did leave, all three of them left. They attached it to a pickup truck, and they took off and they were gone for three days, and then they returned. So they just assumed it was a camping trip, but what it may have been. Now, don't forget, this is September the 1st. He's back. This is a week to a week and a half. So The timeline would put it right before or right around the time that she was reported missing. Now, they invoked counsel. They may have gone into some area with this camper, and they maybe were going to plant it somewhere, but they decided to just hide uh, food and and supplies that he could hide in the woods. I don't know. There's there's definitely a lot of questions, and I think that the – Investigation needs to focus on the dirty laundries, Brian's parents, go through their cell phone records, go through, uh, you and I talked about it earlier, that their bank records, transactions, credit card receipts, there's a, a a whole wealth of information on what their movements mo- were in this past two or three weeks. That's, I think, the focus of this investigation should be, and you will lead to Brian for sure.
0: Well, you know, Phil, I, I agree uh, they should be checking the parents' financial records, they should be tracking almost in real time their their credit cards, their debit cards, transunion, where they send money some to another location. Uh obviously cell phone records, calls going in and out. Uh what other, you know, there's some there's some databases that you know. and I believe when I was on the police department, they had a thing called auto track, which right. is called Faces of the Nation. And you could find out things about a person. That you had no idea, like every single house they've ever owned, every vehicle they've ever owned, relatives, businesses they own, licenses they own. So if the laundries do own a second or third home, they can pull that up on a computer check. And those are the places that, you know, you got to get the fugitive enforcement uh, team involved in this. Uh, There's a federal fugitive enforcement team. These guys are professionals. They're outstanding in searching for people. They search for people internationally, and they're so good at their job, I think that they got to be on board. And of course, you have to use the power of the criminal justice system, which means subpoenas, search warrants, all of the above. And on electronic devices, look, they pulled in the computers, they're going through the computers with a fine-toothed comb, all of the cell phone information. And believe it or not, the cell phone information can take a lot of time to get back. It just doesn't fly back in. So, And then you marry that information with, with the information you currently have.
1: You, you know, Bill, that's I'm glad you brought up the point about the cell phones because if he is still alive, which initially I was saying he probably offed himself when, when, you know, when they said he went into the woods and he hadn't been heard from, I was thinking maybe he offed himself. It's still a possibility. I'm leaning the other way now. I think he's on the run. He's got to be communicating with his mother and father. And, and the mother's name, I believe, is Roberta. And I'm going to appeal to Roberta as a mother. You're the mother of, of your son. You're a mother. You're a mom. Gabby has parents as well. And think about her mom. And th- this has got to end. This kid needs to be brought to justice and found. They may be using uh, uh, burner phones. The FBI is probably on top of that, too. And there's ways to figure out if burner phones Uh, Are being used and and it's you know if they know their location where they are the the house they could tell if if a phone is being uh, used or if there's transmissions going through a phone but they have a lot of explaining to do my opinion they're going to wind up being criminally charged in this thing down the line when they figure out that they were helping him on his escape or you know him trying to you know elude the the police and and the FBI. They're going to be facing criminal charges. You're better better off sooner rather than later to start to cooperate, convince your son to come back, let him turn himself in, and let the investigation go where it's going to go. They're going to put themselves in a trick bag for uh, some serious felony charges. I really believe that at this point. If this kid is still alive and he's on the run, that's what they're doing right now.
0: 100%. Jamie, thank you for the $5 Super Chat. What about traffic cameras? Can they look to see where the family went with the camper, Can they see where the parents' phones pinged at that time? 100% Jamie. But you know, all of this stuff, all of this camera stuff, all of the surveillance, it all takes time. Uh, It just, you can't just get it immediately. I think a traffic camera, you could probably get the Department of Traffic to upload it for you. But usually those cameras aren't that crystal clear. Uh, You know, get a red light camera. Yeah, it'll take a picture of your damn plate from a thousand yards. it will be that clear. clear. (laughs) Yeah, because they want the damn money. But you know, as far as identifying people in the vehicle, it's not—it's not good at that. But yeah, they have law enforcement has all of these tools at their disposal. I mean, we gotta, in a case like this, think outside the box. Think of—you know—I mean, this is a long time. The fourteenth, you're talking about—it's it, eight days ago. That's when he went for his little hike. Did it make sense that he was going for a hike during—you know? His his fiance, is, well, he knows if, if in fact he did it, he knows she's dead. You know, but I mean? but is that does that make sense? Going on a hike, I don't think it does.
1: The, the, there's a smoke screen right there that's being put up, Bill. You and I recognized it right away. It sounds like nonsense. Um, uh, Jamie's comment. I just want to say one other thing. That's a great point because I would like to look at the cell phone activity of the parents where they were in this uh, three day weekend that they went on and and the uh, uh, the, the Neighbors Charlene and William Gunther, they were asked if they thought it was unusual that they went on this three-day excursion. And the wife, I believe it was, that said, yeah, I think it it is kind of strange that uh, a 23-year-old boy would go with his mom and dad on a uh, weekend in this small little sleeper camper. So even they thought that there was something suspicious about that. Look at their cell phone records, and you're going to come up with movements, and that might put you in the direction of where they were with this camper. And that might lead you right to Brian. Uh, Linda Key,
0: thank you so much for the $10 Super Chat. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm Bill Cannon, and with uh, Phil Grimaldi, we're giving you a police perspective to this case. Phil and I have uh, investigated hundreds of cases, many high-profile missing person homicide cases, and we're just giving you the benefit of our knowledge on this. We're in no way are we soothsayers or that we can predict things, but we've been through these type of investigations and some of the things on this investigation, you know, how you have to think, and, and this is how detectives solve crimes: is you talk to each other, and you. Well, I, I've said it numerous times before: you hypothesize, and you theorize, and then you typerize your reports. But uh, I, I use that joke so many times; it's getting tired. People are going to say, "Stop using that joke." But that is really how crimes get solved: is detectives talk to each other. And they come up with a scenario of what may or may not have happened. Amin Umalak, thank you so much for the 499 Super Chat. Folks, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, ring the bell, and give us a thumbs up. We really appreciate it. Our channel is growing by leaps and bounds. And uh, with a lot of help from a lot of people, Duty Ron is one of our biggest benefactors, Joe Murray, and his uh, girlfriend Angie Ang. You guys, thank you so much for contributing to this police off the cuff family. Our YouTube channel members, thank you guys. We really appreciate you guys. And we're going to be staying with this case, but this case is so heartbreaking in so so many ways, you know. And we look at all the legal aspects. We tried to bring you, uh, Miss Manda. Thank you guys for help keeping me updated. Watching from San Francisco, California. Hello, California. So great to see you guys. We're trying to bring in legal experts. I brought in uh, Barbara Butcher, who is a the a former chief of staff of the New York City office of the chief medical examiner. She's a brilliant woman. We're trying to bring in good backup people that know the law, that have an area of expertise that, look, we can't know everything and no, neither can anyone else. And a lot of times when you hear these talking heads on television, you, you shake your head and say, where did they get that from? You know. But uh, in any in any event, We're going to stay with this and it's, it's a very interesting case, but you gotta, sometimes you just have to use common sense. Does any of this make sense that Brian just split to go hiking? I don't think so.
1: You know, Bill, I got to tell you, I want to ask you a question. Um, Since we've been doing this case and since we've been doing police off the cuff, real crime stories, you start to get into these cases. Now, when I was an active homicide investigator and I'd be working a case, sometimes 12, 15 hours, and I would go home and lay my head on the pillow to go to sleep, try and catch a little rest. And I'd be playing all the things that we did in my head. And that's been happening with this case. I feel personally attached to it in a way that I really want to help as much as I can. And I think in the beginning, when we started profiling this case, we, we asked people to, you know, uh, if you see something, say something, which that wound up being a very pivotal point to the case when those, uh, two other travelers and they, they, spotted the van that was very important to finding, uh, Gabby's remains. But are you getting the same thing? Are you like thinking about this day and night because you're so in, you know, you're so interested in it or you're so invested in it? you feel that, Bill?
0: You know, Phil, I am, and I was very guilty of that when I was a homicide sergeant. I would take the cases home with me, and I had a hard time sometimes communicating with my family because my mind, w- I wanted to be back at work. There's that old expression, when, you, when you're when you at work, you want to be home, and when you're home, you want it to be at work, especially with a high-profile case that I was deeply invested in. I felt so passionate that I wanted to be at work and get justice for the uh, for the deceased, you know.
1: That, that basically explains what I was just trying to say, Bill. It's it's just really unbelievable. And listen, any homicide case. When you're the case detective or you're working on it as the supervisor or whatever it is, when you're, you know, whoever's working on the case, you're always invested in the case. You always feel close to it. But specifically with a a young woman that's killed and uh, an innocent person, uh, that, that really makes you go the extra mile when it's a child or, or a young girl like, like Gabby is or an elderly person that's kind of defenseless and helpless. Uh, look, I've investigated... Of murders of drug dealers and organized crime figures that may have, you know, people might say, oh, they deserve it. It's still uh, a homicide investigation. They still had family members that we try to get justice for. And we were invested in the case just like we were in any other case. But it's like with something like this, it really touches your heartstrings and you feel for that family. And you know that uh, the dirty laundries, I'm going to refer to them as again, I'm stealing it from John Walsh. I think it's a great uh, uh, title for them. Uh, they need to, they, they need to start cooperating. They need to get to the bottom of this. Uh, let's find the kid, Brian, and let's find out, you know, what his involvement was. We're going to have, uh, a lot of information going forward from the autopsy, the crime scene investigation, the cell phones, all the things that we talked about. And, uh, we're going to get to the bottom of this. There's, there's going to be, uh, I could see there's going to be a trial on this case one day for sure.
0: You know, Phil, I just want to, I mean, I'm so, um, thankful to the, that family, the red, white, and Bethunes, and I just, I just want to show that that video again because these these people are just incredible people, and they're the ones On that found.
3: 27th, uh, let's just watch 2021, this. Twenty one, we got camera footage going through the Grand Tetons Park around six to six thirty
4: p.m. This is at the Spread Creek Dispersed Camping Area. We, um, we got there and there was a huge gravel lot and we decided we wanted to try to drive more toward the back because we had heard the views were better back there. So we were heading back on this long dirt gravel road.
3: And we came across a white van that had Florida plates, a small white van. We were going to stop and say hi because we're from Florida too, but the van was completely dark there was nobody there so we decided to continue on our way
4: yeah the van looked like it was pretty much uh kind of abandoned we figured maybe they were out hiking or they were just chilling inside there was no doors open you know it was just um just kind of you know neat to see a florida plate you know on the other side of the country it's not something you see all the time
3: but we wanted to include this in the video just in any way that we can help and get this out there to be able to find Gabby Petito. So if you could share it, if you know anything, um, please don't hesitate.
4: Yeah, we're as we're coming up on it, we're approaching it up here on the left-hand side. This is most definitely Gabby Petito's board Transit van. It's kind of wild, like it's seeing a little bit, because we drove past – We actually weren't able to find any sites and we ended up driving back through saw it again, but here it is on the left. So,
3: and I slowed it down so you can possibly see it a little.
0: Well, you know, there you can see the hat and on duty Ron's show last night, though, good buddy duty Ron retired NYPD detective. He showed uh, the slowed down version that was um, someone else had uh, edited it to just show it in a super slow thing. And it showed that the van door was opened, and it closed, and it appeared to be that there was someone out there. And on the ground, uh, there was—you could see. I don't know if you can see the. Uh, you can't see my arrow there. Yeah. But there, are, there are there are sandals right there, and they were saying that those are Gabby's sandals. So, this was the twenty seventh of September, and a lot of people make the assessment or the prediction. That, that may have been the day that she was killed.
4: Better. Uh, kind of freaky for a late Saturday evening, but we just kind of had a brain fart.
0: And you see the hat that's in the front um, dashboard of the van, and that was seen also on the car stop on August 12th uh, by the Body One video, the officers, the Moab.
1: Billy, when when you uh, bef- a little back further on the video, you could see to the left on the right. open area that that's they the talk about. There's like a a creek or or some type of a pond, and then I believe the body was found on the other side of that, like 200 yards away. So that's something good that we saw in that video too. It kind of gives you an idea of the crime scene. So you're talking about that maybe it was about 250
0: yards from this van.
1: Right. I believe so, it looks like it could be to the left of that van because that's when, when the video backed up a little bit, uh, as they were approaching the van, you can see a wide open area. It looked like it could have been the, uh, the pond that they were talking about. And then the body was beyond that. So uh, I'm glad you brought up Duty Ron's show, Bill, because he had crime scene investigator, retired NYPD detective, uh, Ed Wallace, who I, I know personally, we worked together many years ago in the 7-0 precinct in Brooklyn, and he brought up some great points. So uh, if you want to let that play in, and we'll talk about the crime scene again.
0: Yeah, I'm just going to remove, I'm going to remove it now. I just okay. wanted to really send out kudos to Kyle and Jen Bethune. Yes. Because we, we've said it a million times to, to it being ad nauseum, but if you see something Say something. And obviously, these folks did. And look, at they wound up being able to recover uh, Gabby. And I mean, in this case, that is obviously the largest breakthrough that we've had so far, which is just tremendous.
1: Yeah, you know, in the area where this body was found, had that video not been transmitted and and given to law enforcement and they uh, focused the search, there's a possibility her body may have never been found or may have been found, you know, a very long time from now. So, yes, the, the, that family, uh, they did a great thing. They're, they're like heroes in our eyes as far as law enforcement goes, because they seen something, they said something. And uh, it really was a pivotal point of the whole investigation. Um, going back to the crime scene. um Right out of the gate yesterday when uh, Detective Eddie Wallace was on Duty Run Show, he wrote up a point about, and he called it uh, footwear impressions. Now, I think what he was trying to get at is if um, Brian was carrying her from that van. The weight of his body as well as her body, the impressions may have really been deep into the ground, and there could have been uh, footwear impressions that crime scene investigators could have taken uh, plastic cast of, and compared to footwear that Brian may have in his home, or m- maybe if he's uh, if he's captured, that he may have, and a, c- a comparison can be done, and that would place him at the specific crime scene. I think that's a, a great piece of uh, evidence. I wouldn't consider it circumstantial evidence because if the body is found and his footprint is there, that would mean that he was at the scene. You know, so you know, uh, Phil.
0: Can I can I just stop you one? Sure. And that's a that's a great great point. There's something in crime scene. The science of crime scene is called individual characteristics and class characteristics. And I'm going to explain what that is. If you he own will. a pair of of Adidas sneakers, and it's a certain brand, they all have the same bottom. Right. I know where you're going. But Phil Grimaldi wears his sneakers a certain way where the left heel wears out before anything else. That's called an individual characteristic. And that footprint will, will be different on the ground, on soft ground, than someone else that has the same exact sneakers. There may be even indentations on the sole of your sneakers that will positively identify them as your sneakers. So that's called an individual characteristic and the other thing is called the class characteristic i'm glad i taught criminal justice a few years no, ago no no billy, billy remember you, it
1: you really brought up a great great point because nike makes 10 uh, uh you know 100 million pairs of sneakers so uh, a defense attorney in a trial say well you know there's 100 other million pairs of, of that same sneaker but maybe i stepped on a piece of glass or a pebble got in my shoe and that imprint is going to show up and now they recover." the shoe that I was wearing and the comparison is going to say, no, this is not like the other hundred million pairs. This is a specific, uh, uh, marking. It has a specific pattern. He may have stepped on a nail or a piece of glass or a rock or whatever it is. Like you said, my, 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 it's funny you said that because my shoes tend to wear out on my right heel. You said, look, but on my right heel, they tend to, maybe it's the way I walk or whatever. So that pattern, if that pattern is picked up at the crime scene, That's going to be, I wish we had Joe Murray here to really debate it, but (laughs) later on down at the trial, when that's submitted into evidence, I'm sure a defense attorney is going to challenge it and a good crime scene investigator is going to say no. We have the shoes recovered from the defendant, and the pattern matches, and the reason it matches is because, and he would go through all of those things. Great point. Dom. So, see, your professor skills and teaching <laughs> crime scene came. Yeah, yeah I, I, I could still the use them way. every,
0: Even though I'm not teaching anymore, I could still pull some uh, information out of the archives every once in a while. Folks, we're going to do a
1: short commercial break, and we'll be right back. It'll take maybe two minutes. Joe Murray, attorney at law. So glad Joe's back and healthy and back on the show. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in New York City area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he also is a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. His website is jmurray-law.com jmurray-law.com. And his telephone number is 646 838 That's 646-838-1702. His email is joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe at jmurray-law.com. Joe knows both sides of the fence in the criminal justice area.
0: Maxine Piller, thank you so much for the 899 Super Chat. She says, good evening, Bill and Phil. Keep up the good work. You're both such an inspiration in all that you do and the time you spend getting to the core of these sensitive cases. Sending love from the UK, GB. Thank you, the UK, Great Britain. Thank you, Maxine Piller. That's very uh, much appreciated. And uh, you inspire us by praising us in that way. Um, let me just get to this quick coffee commercial. Please, coffee is an officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends. Police Coffee will provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant. And our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Our coffee is some of the best you'll find, but it also helps serve an important cause, giving back to our community. 50% of our profits goes towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order coffee and related products from policecoffee.com, go to the website, there are over seven types of coffee to choose from. Fifty percent of the profits go to officers' families in need. For a ten percent discount, use code off the cuff ten. You know, Phil. I, I one of the things that, of course, we're thinking of now. Uh, will it when the autopsy results totally come back, and they determine how, in fact, uh, well, they already ruled that it's a homicide, which I explained before means death caused by another. That's the definition of homicide. However, now they will come back with the manner of death, how uh, the cause of death, excuse me, the cause of death. Was she strangled? Was she a victim of blunt trauma? Was she stabbed? Or was there a gunshot wound? We don't know specifically. Another part B of that is there's something called toxicology, which they will do. They'll test the blood and do numerous tests on it and find out what was inside the body at the time, as Dr. Michael Baden said, also, is that they'll empty the contents of the stomach to find out can that give us a time frame? Very good she, point. Of when she died based on the contents of her stomach. And he could explain that better because he's a pathologist, how long it takes to digest potatoes, how long it takes to digest meat. And that, that is another uh, determining factor in time
1: of death. So glad you brought that up, Bill, because that's another thing that was just revealed on the news shortly before we went on the air, that they have witnesses in a restaurant around the 27th, I think they said 25th to the 27th, that uh, Brian was in a restaurant. He was arguing with an employee of the restaurant and he became irrational. They said he was acting very odd and weird. Now, The reason I bring that up is this. Let's say they were in that restaurant. His behavior was completely out of control, violent, uh, arguing, whatever it was. Now, if they look at the contents of her stomach, and it is that meal that they last ate, because when they empty the contents of the stomach, they can tell what kind of food it is generally. They can get an idea of meat, potatoes, like you said. They can also put a time frame on how long before the person consumed that food, that they were killed, that they died. So let's say, I'm just going to use an arbitrary day of the week. Let's say it was Wednesday at 8 p.m. They were in the restaurant and, um, you know, there was this argument or a fight where he was acting irrational and the, the coroner can say, well, the food is uh, meat and potatoes. And they match it up to that restaurant's meat and potatoes. And they believe that within a three or four hour period that that's how long it was that she consumed the food before the time that she died. So now you have a really narrow window when you think the uh, murder may have taken place. And you have something that can be brought out in court. We believe that the murder took place at this time, on this date, because of the contents of her stomach. And we know for a fact, based on the person that Brian was arguing with, that he was acting irrational. Maybe there's a video camera in there. These are all pieces of evidence that could be brought out at a trial and show that he's responsible for the demise of gabby Petito.
0: phil that's uh, brilliant and some of the th- folks in the chat um you know there's some really great uh well here here's a great little question mamachi9 my question is why are there so many criminal sympathizers on youtube i've noticed that everyone every time an evil person kills someone else there's a side of youtube that jumps on the evil sympathizer train you know mamachi9 i'm I, I mean i'm glad you you brought that up but you know, that's because we live in a country where everyone is presumed uh, innocent, you know, the presumption of innocence. And it's much, uh, much easier to prove someone, I mean, to, to, to prove um, someone uh, guilty than it is to try to prove yourself innocent. You know, imagine the uh, that you had to prove that you were innocent rather than the prosecutor had to show that you were guilty. So that's one of the reasons I think people people also see the police sometimes as the villains. They see the criminal justice system as the villains. But then when a situation like this happens, where a beautiful girl uh, apparently is murdered by her fiancé, it just pulls at all of our heartstrings. And it just – in fact, this case is, uh, is famous now, is infamous all over the world right now, not just – in the United States. And, you know, we are looking some of the pictures, of the Florida law enforcement that are searching, uh, that park right now. And, uh, this case, there's the parents of Brian laundry, you know, just think of the, the man hours and the, um, these are the folks that, uh, they saw something and they said something. Uh, that's those the are Bethunes. The, uh, Kyle Gen- Ky- Ky- and, yeah, Kyle and Jen Bethune. And they, I believe they have three kids. Their son, who was seven years old, died 10 years ago in a car accident. Can you imagine the heartbreak of that? There's a very close, great American family, as you would That's say.
1: That's an ironic thing that people who lost a child are now helping to find another set of parents that lost a child. And and it, they were really so important to this investigation. I think it's just ironic, though.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's sort of heartbreaking. And I, I, and I want to show this picture. This is the uh, the senior uh, FBI agent in charge that had to give the press conference the other night, and in fact, tell everyone that the body that they had recovered they tentatively identified as Gabby Petito, and you could see that he is uh, he's quite upset, you know. So you could see that law enforcement takes this personally, and uh, it's very difficult in situations like this. Not to bring this home with you, and uh, it was heartbreaking to hear him present the uh, at the press conference that they had in fact um, recovered Gabby Petito.
1: You know, Bill, I just want to expand on that just for a second. Like when you, it, it, the first picture you put up was Gabby and and Brian, and you know, as a detective, when you go into a thing like this. Uh it starts out in a missing person case. The first thing you is the family give us a picture and you pull up a picture and you know it starts to stay with you, it starts to haunt you. Now you go home at night and you see your children, or you see other people in your family, or you see people around you, and it reminds you of this. And this is how you get invested in one of these cases, and you want to really do your best, you want to make uh that extra effort to try and find. I mean, we were hoping and praying she was gonna be found alive. That would have been fantastic. Unfortunately, it just wasn't to be. And now we just want justice for Gabby. We want justice for her family. And uh, we want the laundries to cooperate. Uh, Their culpability, as days go on, they're getting more and more in deeper into this case. And um, it's just, uh, it's really not looking good for them. And and I I think we started out this show saying the focus needs to be on them. Let's talk to them. Let's follow them. Let's look into them. It's going to lead us to Brian and uh I can't even uh, I can't even uh, you know say it enough about uh, the Mom Roberta. You're a mom. Gabby's mom is a mom, and uh, they don't have their daughter anymore. You're gonna have your son if he's alive. Uh, you know, it's time to just do the right thing. I mean, as a parent, I get it. If one of my children did something horrific, I would try to help them the best I could. But uh, at some point, if they took a life of an innocent girl like Gabby, uh, I would have to draw the line and say, listen, you know, it's, it's going to, the time has come that you're going to have to be accountable for your actions. And I'm still going to have my child if my child did this horrible thing. I may be visiting them in jail, but I'll still have them. And uh, that's something for these people to think about. Catherine Mooney in
0: the chat says, uh, how come we haven't heard from Brian's lawyer? Because he has nothing to say. He was supposed to hold a press conference. I believe it was yesterday. It was canceled. Now, if we, if like Phil and I believe is that the family is aiding and abetting him and getting away, the lawyer is just not going to say anything. You know, lawyers, uh, they're held up to a standard, believe it or not. And they have to adhere to the, the, the bar association of the state they're in. And if they do something that is viewed as misconduct, they can lose their law license. So I don't know if that had anything to do with him calling us off the press conference, do lawyers regularly lie? I won't even answer that because I can hear you guys in the chat laughing as I just said that.
1: <laughs> you know what, Bill? There's an ethical part of it, too, that uh, he's got a law practice. Uh, this is a high profile case. Him taking it on is going to be beneficial to him down the line. Uh, and I don't think he wants to be viewed as uh, this horrible person that was defending a uh, uh, obvious murderer. So, or, 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 going along with the family did when it's, when it's revealed that the family, uh, you know, may have aided and abetted him. Uh, he may want to take a step back now and say, you know what, I, I still have to practice law in this, in this town, in this area. And, uh, you know, maybe that's why he canceled a press conference. Cause I don't think anything good was going to come out of that press conference for his benefit or for his client's benefit. It was probably just going to be bad, actually, because there would have been questions. And if you walk away from a microphone without asking questions, that's a bad look. And if you answer questions and the answers don't come out good, that's a bad look. So he must have said, you know what? There's nothing to be gained by doing a press conference. And they pulled back. That's what, that's my opinion. I could be right. I could be wrong.
0: Jay Erickson in the chat. I understand Gabby sympathizes, not Brian's. If you have a mom or a sister, You cannot support a murderer, but that's just me. I'm not a sociopath. Thank you for your comment, Jay uh, Erickson. So the obvious answer is now is where do we go to now? And where we go to now is to keep investigating this. And as I said, that unit, fugitive enforcement, they should be on this case. uh, They should have been on it a week ago, but they should be on this case, you know, full 100% These guys are brilliant at their job. They have tools that they use that we don't, in regular law enforcement, don't have out there full force. And, you know, we're talking about the whole weight of the criminal justice system, search warrants, telephone, eavesdropping warrants, all of the above to find this guy.
1: You know, Bill. Again, going back to the fact that they let this kid slip out of uh, where he was at his mom's house, and uh, there was no surveillance being conducted. Uh, we talked about it could have been possible lack of manpower, or something. But they should have enlisted either the United States Marshals, somebody with uh, some manpower to just you know get around the clock surveillance on this kid because it was obvious she was missing. He was responsible for her last known whereabouts, and the two were going to eventually you know uh, hook up. Uh, you know the the fact that he was. The last one to see her alive, and uh, they should have had eyes on him. There's no no question about that. Going back to what you said earlier, I guess one of the people that in the chat said about how to, uh, it seems like uh, you know people are being forgiving and and uh, like that on uh, YouTube and and on the podcast. Listen, the United States of America is a very forgiving country. It, it's just that's the way we like to forgive people for mistakes that they made. And and it's in the Bible that, you know, you're supposed to be, we're not perfect. We're allowed to make mistakes. This is obviously not a mistake. It's a horrible crime and a tragedy, but I think that's the general, uh, feeling of people throughout the country that they, they may want to err on the side of caution. And listen, I am 100% in favor of no one who's innocent being charged with a crime and, and, being found guilty and going to jail. I am not for that in any way, shape or form. Every detective that I ever worked with, every police officer I ever worked with, we would never be able to uh, put your head on the pillow at night, knowing that you arrested somebody that didn't do it knowingly. There are cases where it happens at times. And uh, you know, but knowingly, if you do that, you should hang up your shield. You shouldn't be in law enforcement. And uh, you know, I don't think that anybody that's innocent should go to jail. Uh,
0: Jackie S. Thank you so much for the $15 super chat. And I want to just say, I'm so sorry about what you're going through. Uh, I lost my daughter to murder. This club sucks. Oh my God. No justice is a stab in the back. They will always refer to before Gabby and after Gabby. It's been four years, not one call from the detective. Jackie, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Uh, I can't even imagine what, what that's like. I mean, I know that myself, I was in homicide for 10 years. We had great respect for the victims and the victims' families, and I would never do what you're describing right there. I would always try to stay in contact with the family. It's, uh, that's a horrible thing. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Um, Jack,
1: I have to echo those words. That's uh, that's a terrible thing. And uh, it, it, wherever you are in the country, you should be. I would start making some phone calls and, and reach out. Um, you know, I've been on cases where, uh, you know, sometimes things just aren't happening. Uh, the person who did it isn't brought to justice and you kind of hit a brick wall. And I could think of a specific case where a 19 year old college student was uh, stabbed in the heart over nothing. And uh, we used to talk with the family once a week. The father would come in and we'd say, listen, this is what we're doing there really wasn't a lot of updates but he was comforted by the fact that we would meet with him once a week and say all right this is what we're hoping for eventually it took about a year on america's most wanted uh we profiled that case and uh the the guy was brought to justice who committed the homicide but uh the point being the the detective on that case or somebody from that office should be in contact with you uh you know, in a uh, time to time, would you agree with that bill? I mean, isn't that one? No, a hundred percent
0: of the time you should probably be calling her at least, you know, once every month or every two, every two or three months, but you, you can't just let people, you know, they lost, she lost her daughter. I mean, you have to, you know, feel for her and you have to, you know, keep her abreast, even if there's nothing happening. and cases do go cold. Sure. And, you know, In this day and age, though, there's always a chance with the technology, with what we have, DNA, with uh, those family trees now that are Ancestry.com. It's just amazing some of the stuff that happens. DRock, thank you for the $5 super chat. Then a police search in such vast area, how does law enforcement combat someone backtracking to an area already searched? Well, that can happen. The way you would do that is you would do a zone search or a spiral search or a quadrant search, and yes, that can happen. Especially, if, what if someone is a in the military, or they're trained in the military, or someone is just a uh, a bear griller's type, someone that is a survivalist? Uh, they they definitely will have uh, have it over the police. That's for sure.
1: You know, I just want to back up a little bit. I want to make a comment about that last comment. But Jackie, uh, if you contact your local police and you don't get any satisfaction, try and email us. If we could help you out, we'll we'll uh, make a phone call for you and perhaps maybe get you uh, back on track with the detective on that case. Regarding that search comment that you just had up, Bill... Uh, listen, double, uh, sometimes you, you, you can search an area. You could step right over an important piece of evidence without realizing it. So double and triple searching, I don't think is a, is a problem. And I've heard of cases where they searched an area for a missing person, a kid one time, I can remember a case and they didn't find it. They went back and then they found, uh, they found who it was they were looking for, uh, on a secondary search.
0: You know, someone had earlier on, had said something about, you know, in, um, time of death etymology which is the insects on a body and you're 100% right that can also be a, a determinant of time of death uh, especially i don't want to get into it so much but with maggots they they take i think like 2 to 3 days to go from birth to to full and i mean that's that's one of the time frames that pathologists and uh, medical legal investigators use on uh, determining time of death in this case, when the body was out there, probably in excess of 22 days, uh, determining time of death by science is a little bit more difficult. They can give you a roundabout time, but they cannot pinpoint time. And I, I almost wish I had Barbara Butcher on, on the telephone. I could just pull, pull her up and she would explain that in a scientific
1: way. Sure. You know, weather patterns would be taken into consideration as well. Uh, if we believe the body was out there for two weeks, they may look at uh, how much rain there was, snow, cold, temperature, hot temperatures. They would definitely uh, use that as a, uh, a, a formula to figure out time of death, how long the body was decomposing and stuff like that. So all of these factors, obviously, Barbara Butcher, a, a real expert in the field, uh, would have a better uh, explanation of that. But uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, the crime scene itself, the examination when the body was found and the uh, autopsy, that's going to yield a lot of uh, information on how, when, and uh, what means uh, Gabby succumbed to her death.
0: Well, you know, Phil, someone also mentioned in the chat before, was this crime premeditated or was it a crime of passion?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, t- to me, uh, I'm leaning towards a crime of passion based on the uh, volatile relationship that uh, that appears to have been going on. I mean, we had the August 12th interaction with the p- police after a, a dispute between the two of them. And now we're talking about at least one or two incidents where there were people that saw them arguing. There was the restaurant that I just quoted, which was around the time that we believe she was murdered, uh, where he was acting uh, in an odd fashion, arguing with an employee of a restaurant. So, I mean, listen, uh, it sounds like... Uh, Things may have accelerated, uh, domestic violence type uh, situation violence uh, hitting each other or him hitting her and you know maybe uh possessive control uh, uh friends of Gabby, uh made statements that he was uh you know uh, constantly monitoring her movements and whereabouts and uh, uh you know exhibiting pos- possessive uh, uh obviously he's po- he's exhibiting violent behavior but there was also this possessive behavior these are all the components in uh domestic violence situations and uh, possibly a domestic violence uh, death
0: of uh, Diane Morelli so since they're searching for Brian in that reserve area is, is it that the FBI doesn't have any information that he fled the parents are lying do they really think he's still there you know it, I would question. think that they, yeah I would think that they have some information that he fled into there but I mean he left on the 14th of September what are the chances that he's still in there I don't know maybe they have some information or they're deer cameras, the hunting cameras out there. Did someone spot him in the woods? We can't answer that, but
1: that's, I would hope though. I would hope bill that there is something other than just the parents word that they're in, you know, focusing the search in that area with all these resources. I would really hope that because if it's not, that would be, uh, that would be shameful that they could have been led on a wild goose chase. But uh, my instincts are telling me that there's gotta be something maybe, uh, Maybe a cell phone pinged or something to that effect, or somebody saw him in the area. It's got to be something, Bill. I I I I don't know if if it's not, they're going to have egg on their face again. It'll be the second.
0: Here's another outstanding question from the chat, Colby Cat. Can the police track flights to see if he flew out of the state or the country? Yes, it's not as easy as you might think, but you can also put a hold on his name with all the airlines, and you could put like. Uh, like it's almost like a flag. Someone using his name tries to buy a ticket. It's flagged. The police come and they grab him. But what if he has fake ID to leave the country? As you know, he'd need his passport, but this could have been premeditated and he could have all of that stuff with him.
1: Yeah. Listen, if he did fly, uh, if he used his own ID, I mean, you know, they, they check IDs at airports since nine 11 pretty, uh, they're, they're scrutinized pretty well. Um, There would be a, uh, there would definitely be a, um, uh, you know, a way to check that and find out. There would be a record of it if he flew. So I'm sure they're looking into that. But uh, yeah, it it seems like they're pretty confident he's in this area. Maybe that camper that we talked about with the with the neighbors that uh, sort of them go on a trip. Maybe that's the reason that they're in that area too. Um, I I quoted this uh, the last show we did yesterday and the day before actually. he had to have a good supply of food. You can't live off of, uh, you know, tree bark and uh, bugs in, in the wilderness uh, for this long. So and then, you know, with all the things that are going on in that area with alligators, snakes and wild boar and all, you know, insects and animals, um, you know, he's going to turn up sooner or later if he is in that, in fact, in that uh, in that area.
0: You know, uh, Navy F-14D says police put divers in the water today. You know, you would wonder why would they risk the lives of police officers doing this? Why can't they do it with sonar, submerged sonar? I mean, there's alligators and all kinds of matter of wildlife in these lakes. And if this guy is, in fact, in in the lake, he would pop up in three days. You know, that's why you guys don't know uh, a body that gets submerged usually sinks straight down. I didn't know that till I asked our, our harbor guys that one time. And after about three days, the gas is built up in the body, and it rises, to, it rises to the surface, and it, that's why it gets the name floater. And the body on a river is called a floater because it floats to the top and it floats down the river.
1: Yeah, yeah You know, maybe there's a uh, reason to look, uh, the divers could be looking for evidence too. You know, maybe uh, they feel he may have uh, tossed a weapon in there. I don't know. Uh, another scenario, Bill and I, you ta- uh, we talked about it before we went on the air. Uh, it could be the... Uh, possibility that an alligator grabbed him and brought him into the water which is uh what alligators do if they go on land and they grab uh, prey they, they take it back into the water to drown it uh so who knows it, it could be any number of those things that we just mentioned evidence it could be uh, looking for him and you're right though I, I don't know if I'd be putting divers in the water if there's uh alligators uh, supposedly in the area you know
0: uh, a penny for your podcast. I love that name. Considering the FBI had probable cause to get a search run on the home. Do you think they were able to get a warrant to tap the home phone line? I think they could. Yes. I think you would have to present, You'd have to present the facts to a judge. And I, yeah, I think absolutely they could. Uh, oh, by the way, Penny, thank you for the 499 super chat. Very appreciated. You know, you guys in the, in the chat, uh, you asked some great questions today, you know, and it's, uh, it's it's our privilege and our pleasure to answer them if we know the uh the answer we don't know the answer to everything and I can't believe that Joe Murray's in the chat doesn't that guy ever work isn't he an attorney he's he's like I living love on the this guy. Show. I love him. I, I, I love him. I love him too but I'm, I'm laughing. he's a he's a huge fan and a huge supporter of the show and I love to see him in the chat and I'm like you know if I if when I die I hope I come back one day as a
1: lawyer <laughs> <laughs> And work in the office of Murray, Murray, and Murray, you know? You you know, Bill, there's one of the comments from Patty Cake, and this is kind of interesting. She says, the dirty laundries probably threw Brian's backpack in the swamp to throw off law enforcement. That's also a good possibility. I mean, anything's possible at this point. And look... I said it before I get parents trying to protect their child or trying to help their child, but now they're going to be crossing over into uh, a possibility, the arena of criminal charges, culpability for aiding and abetting. I mean, uh, there's no way that uh, this is going to go away for the family, for for Brian. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's deeper and deeper and deeper. They probably would be doing themselves a, a justice where, you know, they're going to have to move on. If he's, captured alive and he's eventually charged and he's in jail and a trial and all of that, they may want to do some PR for themselves now that they're going to be you know, they may have to move out of Florida because people are going to be looking at them and spitting on the ground. It's terrible. And I, I don't want anybody to try and do anything harmful to them. I'm not indicating that. I'm not, uh, you know, uh, looking for anybody to do anything like that. But I just think that uh, they better think long and hard about their actions moving forward from this minute, from right now. I mean, over, the, I, I could have said that a couple of days ago as well or even a week ago, but they really got to think about their future going forward as well as Brian's. Brenna Hatch. What if they never find
0: Brian? At what point do they quit searching? Never. There is no statute of limitations for murder. And if he doesn't appear within the next, you know, couple of months, six months, year, at any point, he could be arrested for if they ha- obtain probable cause that he did this. He can be arrested at any time. There's no statute of limitations for murder.
1: You know, Bill, I'm glad that that question was asked because, you know, let's say he's not found and it goes on for a few weeks. There's going to be a lot of things happening regarding the investigation, the results of the autopsy, the toxicology, the crime scene investigation of the vehicles, the crime scene investigation in the home, the crime scene at the scene. Maybe all of these things will be put together and there'll be enough evidence to go to a grand jury and and say, we believe this guy's responsible for it. They get an arrest warrant and he'll be named as a suspect 100% then. Which may be, they may be at that point now Don't forget the prosecutor's office is going to be involved in this They're going to be examining all the interviews, the videos, the cell phone information It's a lot of work that's going into this case and I'm sure at some point they're going to put it all together. They'll pro- they'll produce it to a grand jury and they'll get an indictment uh, at some point. Even if he's not found, is my point. So I mean, listen. If he's found, they may take him into custody. They may have enough right now to take him into custody, uh, or they may just say, "Listen, you know, uh, we want you to we we'll want to know your movements, and and we're gonna we're looking at you as a suspect." I don't know what's going to happen exactly if he's found, but the point is this. Once the results of all the investigation that's being done and that's going to be being done going forward, they're going to come up with something that's going to put uh, Brian into the trick bag, so to speak, for, uh, for the murder. It's definitely a homicide and he's going to wind up being responsible for it.
0: You know, Joe Murray is stirring up the shit in the chat again. You know, here he is. Uh, Rebecca, he says, yes, you are correct. People get very emotional and assume facts that are not yet established. That's a defense attorney right there, but we love you anyway, Joe. <laughs> yes.
1: And listen, I, I get it. I I am all for his, his legal aspect, uh, his legal input on these type of things, because let's face it, if you don't have a Joe Murray... How are you going to get good at this stuff? This is what keeps you on your toes. And, and you know, you, it makes you – you need to be challenged. And I love that part of it. That's why I always try to get uh, people out of the comments. Uh, you know, something worth saying. If somebody says something ridiculous, it's one thing. But, you know, uh, those comments and questions are, are very valuable to what we're trying to do here. You know, and, Phil, I've been
0: accused of only reading the uh, comments that are accompanied by a super chat. And that's not true.
2: Today, oh, I, read,
0: today I read plenty of comments that weren't accompanied – Uh, By a super chat. Uh, Joe, if, where is an attorney, would you quit? Oh, I don't know what that was in reference to. Uh, Three day camping trip with his parents while Gabby is dead in a field. They all need locking up now. Disgusting liars. That's from Emma Taylor. A lot of people are very emotional about this case, you know? Yeah. Uh, Peter Pranzo, the great Lieutenant Peter Pranzo, Harlem Raiders fame, NYPD. Joe is right. No arrest warrant as yet. No, there is no arrest warrant as yet. But, you know, Lieutenant Pranzo, I question, though, if the police find him right now, are they really just going to bring him home?
1: I would find that very, very hard to believe. My opinion, my opinion, there's going to be something they're going to want to hold him on. Uh, I don't know exactly how they would handle it. I discussed it with Jody the other night. He kind of shot it down when I said either an unauthorized use of the vehicle, or if he used a credit card of hers, those were the first two things that popped in my head. You know, maybe they have something else up their sleeve. I don't want to get too far into it, but even if they find him and they bring him home, now we know where he is. Now there'll be a 24 hour track on his butt. And, uh, you know, then as they build the case, they may come up with an arrest warrant later, but, uh, Either way, this whole thing, is it stinks rotten to the core for Brian and for his family. Gemma Deacon, another
0: great person from Great Britain. Hey, guys, just wanted to say thanks for the great shows recently. You have found a new watcher in me across the pond in the UK. Thank you so much. And, you know, uh, when you're at the pub in Great Britain and knocking down a Guinness or whatever you guys drink in Great Britain, let them know about Phil and I, the Sergeant Bill and the uh, Detective Phil uh, show, and where where every once in a while we drag a defense attorney on with us just to, uh, just to give the antagonistic <laughs> opinion, you know. But thank you so much, Gemma Deacon. We we really appreciate that. You know, folks, as I uh, there's another uh, YouTube family member from across the pound, the pond, not the pound uh and you know folks if you like this show please uh subscribe to us on youtube hit the subscribe button give us a thumbs up ring that bell we also have a youtube uh membership uh for 299 a month you're the bucket for 999 you can polish my rack for 2499 you're dipped in butter and the premier one heated dipped in butter is 4999 which oh, we have one person that is heated dipped in butter I love that guy. I don't know who he is. I can pull up his name. But thank you, guys. We really appreciate it. We're working really hard to bring you the best shows we can possibly deliver. Uh, Phil Grimaldi is a gem. I found him uh, on the streets of Brooklyn. He was uh, eating a veal cutlet sandwich. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he had some gannolis And I said, hey, come over here what do you know about homicide? And he goes, he goes Oh, I used to be at the, come here. And we, you know, and he's been on the show ever since, you know? And, uh, you know, we really enjoy doing this and it's, believe it or not, it's, it's, it's hard work. It really is hard work to stay on top of all of this stuff, but it's so great. Cause we almost feel like we're back on the NYPD. Exactly. And, and using our skills and our thoughts and our intuition and basically, you know, reading you guys and reading the questions and, uh, understanding all this and it, it's so great. Kristen cure another new member to the police off the cuff family. Thank you so much. That's great. I, whenever I see the green, uh, the green font, I know we got a new member in the police off the cuff family. Uh, you know, Phil, we've been uh, going at it now for about an hour and 10 minutes, an hour and 11 minutes, uh, you want to start to wrap it up? You got some final yeah. thoughts?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, just You were talking about that uh, comment from the person across the pond in the UK. There was a, a person last night. Uh, late at night, I went through a lot of the comments, and I, I got a lot of wonderful happy birthday comments last night. I, I really appreciate it. I tried to answer as many as I could, and I, I think I went through quite a number of them. And uh, But there was a, a, a woman by the name of uh, Nicole Gaylor, G-A-Y-L-E-R from Australia. So we got people from all over the globe, uh, plugged into this case, plugged into our show. We really appreciate it. She said, you guys have a fan base, fan base in Australia. Uh, that I thought that was very nice. Uh, again, we got some other great shows coming up. We're going to be doing an interview on Sunday evening, about 6 PM of, uh, Jimmy Calandra, who is a member of organized crime. Uh, we did, uh, Sammy, the bull just recently, uh, last Wednesday night, a week ago. Um, Getting a little perspective on uh, the organized crime uh, life that they call it being in the life. So we got a perspective from Sammy to Bo Gravano. It was actually a very, uh, very good show. A lot of good information. We have Jimmy Calandro this week. Then we have another show sometime next week. I think it's the twenty eighth where we have. Uh, uh, the judge coming on and, uh, Judge Domingo uh, from, Judge uh, hot, yeah, hot, hot, hot bench. She's from. yes. Judge Patricia Domingo from hot bench. She's also a native of Brooklyn. I know her, uh, from the area. So, well, uh, yeah, we got some good things going on.
0: You know, well, folks, when people from Brooklyn see each other, they do this. That's how you know that they recognize each <laughs> other. You know, it's almost like, well, you ever see a Marine that sees another Marine? It was like, Hoorah!
1: you know, it's almost like that. that secret. Yeah, I just <laughs> give her a How you doing? Oh wait a minute Phil you're a marine right No 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 I, that my my dad was a marine my dad was a marine Oh you were never I thought you were a marine no, no, no. I have the Marine Corps flag behind me. Uh, it's a little higher than you can see, but uh, that's uh, that's for my dad. My dad was in World War II, uh, Marine Corps. He actually uh, was in the tank corps and uh, did some jumping out airplanes with parachutes and stuff. So that's, both that's my fantastic. grandfathers actually, my father and both my grandfathers and several of my uncles were in uh, World War I and World War II. So. That's fantastic. Marlena
0: yeah. Cantu, thank you for the $5 Super Chat. Your question is, if parents are found guilty for aiding and abetting, Will they be responsible for all the resources spent on this manhunt? I don't think they um, they do that. They can be charged criminally. They certainly can be prosecuted. Could the penalty be a fine? Yeah, because I think they are people of means. I know they have a 10,000 square foot house, and I think they own a juice company. I think that's their business.
1: You, you know, Bill, when they... If they can prove that they falsely reported an incident, if they reported him missing and they knew he was hiding and stuff like that, then there could be some culpability possibly for search stuff. I mean, I don't know if they're going to go that route, but, uh, you know, uh, there's there's culpability in these things. You know, you got to really uh, watch what you're doing and what you're saying. And, and you know, you lie to the police. Uh, you're putting yourself in a trick bag down the line. Bottom line.
0: Diana Lynn Aguilu, I wish you would read this comment. I am. Uh, your wish came true. Please. Um, the neighbor said when he came home, everything was normal. Uh, and then we'll in a bike ride with his mother and he mowed the lawn and helped his father like nothing happened. I saw that guy being interviewed. Yeah. He came home as if nothing was amiss, which, uh, you know, you could take a couple of different ways, but. I believe he told his parents what happened. How could you not like, Oh, what happened to your fiance? Oh, she didn't want to come home. You know? Uh, I don't think I would. That's I'd a
1: bad that. look Bill. That, that whole, that interview right there. That's, that's a bad look for those people that they were acting like nothing was wrong. Knowing that the kid was missing. Terrible, terrible.
0: Tonight, the night owl. I love your comment. Phil reminds me in voice accent and looks of Jerry Lewis. That's a compliment. <laughs> I say, I say Joe Pesci, but, uh, lady, lady. <laughs> That's, that's excellent a first. okay that's excellent uh hush puppies uh South Africans also in the house so welcome Sylvia Maiko from Germany oh my god it's you guys are from all over the world we're so flattered that uh you're joining the police off the cuff family Juvi new member wow look at that I I love it I love the new members you guys are fantastic and joining the the police off the cuff family uh Tony Valente I was just reading your I can find you again. So Joe Murray, it's already aiding and abetting for his mother, his father, and his sister that gave an interview on Good Morning America. Since Gabby lived at the house, it's also an accessory to, to murder one.
1: Accessory to the fact.
0: Yeah, potentially. But, you know, that it's a difficult thing to prove. And, and sometimes once they get the target of the investigation, they're not so inclined to uh, pursue uh, the peripheral people. That they're much, they're going to concentrate on who the main target is. I'm not saying they wouldn't do that, but they'll put most of their energy into prosecuting the main player in this case. Um, Good evening from UK, Nottinghamshire. Wow, is that uh, the forest where, um, who is from Nottingham Forest? I forget.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robin Hood, something. Robin Hood,
0: that's right, Robin Hood. Dorothy Beveridge from Scotland.
1: Oh, my God. This is, like, incredible. Laura Logan from the Netherlands. I'm seeing Paul Laurie, New Zealand. Uh, Daisy Batista, Brazil. Uh, We're getting uh, international uh, people on the show. That's fantastic. Thank you so much to everybody that's... uh,
0: Lubbock, Lubbock, Texas. Wasn't that uh, Buddy Holly was from
1: Lubbock, Texas? Sounds right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I kind like this little... comment better. Phil reminds me of Al Pacino. That's oh, better. Cool.
0: <laughs> Mamie, Bill Cannon, are they using heat sensors and infrared to search for him at night? I hope they are. I hope they have the latest technology. That they I, can... I would
1: think they are. That, that's A lot of weird.
0: helicopters have those infrared sensors. I know yeah. the NYPD has them. Jesse J, Ireland in the house. I'm from Ireland. Many, uh, not, I'm not originally, my great, my, actually my great-grandparents were from Ireland. So we we came over to the U.S. my uh, my great grandparents, but they were right; they were from Ireland. Joe Murray. Do we know Joe Murray? Where's oh Joe Murray's from Queens, New York? That's not exotic at all. Um, but you should be happy. I just mentioned it, Joe Murray.
1: <laughs> he's a good man, Joe Murray. He really is. Uh, I'm just so happy to be friends with him and uh, spend time on the podcast with him. And he really gives us a great insight. And you know, not because he's a friend of mine, and we do the commercial for him. Uh, you can see that he's a very capable... Attorney, he knows his. I'm going to say the word. He knows his shit in plain English, and he's a good guy. So, if you have need for an attorney, he's he's the guy. I tell you, I would not think twice about uh, enlisting his services if I was. And in you, York
0: and York. you folks in the UK, he'll just fly over the uh, ocean to represent you. <laughs> sure, especially if you take him out to a pub and give him. That's a nice, right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, be the
1: man, but he's uh, going
0: to be there. Shannon Georgia Peach, you're Irish too. Great to hear that. Busy mom. Hello from Mexico. Uh, do you think they will ever change the sea Bridge back to it? I hope so. I'm, we're I'm waiting all in- on
1: that. We're waiting. I'm on all
0: that. I'm all in favor of that too. You know,
1: <clears throat> Colorado is
0: actually a petition going around. <laughs> to do that. Colorado, hi from St. Thomas. Oh my God, you guys are from all over the world, folks. I think oh. we're going to wrap it up. It We've my- been on for almost an hour and twenty minutes. Hello from Morocco, uh, New Mexico, amazing.
1: Any final words, Phil? Yes. Uh, I know that we, we did have a little bit of fun. We uh, and That's part of life. I mean, sometimes you just need to have a little levity sometimes. And I, I don't want people to think that in any way, shape or form we're being disrespectful towards uh, Gabby Petit or, or her family. Or our hearts and Prayers go out to them. And I tell people, if you uh, are religious, say a prayer for them because they're going through a very difficult time. I can't even imagine. And uh, if you're not religious, just have a good thought for them. And uh, we're going to stay on top of this. And like Bill said, uh, we're into this. It's not about money or anything like that. It's about uh, being connected to an investigation. Uh, these are the skills that we developed over many years in, in law enforcement. And uh, it's a way to maybe give back and to explain to people And uh, it's actually enjoyable doing it, but it's a lot of work. Like Bill said, uh, you know, we're trying to catch the news all day long and then talk about it in the evening and uh, whatever happens going forward. Uh, One last thing I'd like to say is uh, to Roberta, Roberta uh, Laundrie, your mom, Gabby's mom. Just think about Gabby's mom, what they're going through that poor family right now and do the right thing. I'm just going to I'm just going to end with that
0: okay Duty Ron I saw you in the chat at the last minute Duty Ron thank you so much for everything that you do not just for your channel but for our channel if it wasn't for Duty Ron I would be in the basement of YouTube with a thousand subscribers he's helped me uh tremendously to build our channel with just advice with um, promoting me and I I can't thank him enough he he's done uh, amazing things for me so folks and thank he's got you a so fantastic much show too. He's great. Folks, thank you so much for listening today. On behalf of Bill Cannon and Phil Grimaldi for Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, thank you so much and have a great day.
1: Stay safe, everyone.